the recollection of, of death, the mortality. Mm. In monasteries, this becomes far more than just a, a theoretical um, recollection. It's always, most every week, there's news of somebody, somebody passing away. We're asked to bring that to mind. Can't be a week that goes by uh, without that. Uh, this is just a fragment, isn't it? Tiny little splinter of the <coughs> multitudes of the dying. <coughs> and then when you recollect it, so we chanting and then holding that perception in mind, someone one knows or one feels for, a sense of sympathy for. It's just the holding of uh, what that brings up, the sense of sympathy or um, shock or concern or realizing the difficulties that the bereaved have to go through. You get this whole kind of um, suddenly the affective realm opens up, doesn't it? We're suddenly you know, touched or you know, a range of, of, of um, effects, moods, <clears throat> and then you're actually holding it. Just, just being present with that. <coughs> so that's when you take a rec- recollection. You know, it becomes much more than just a, just an idea. It it's uh, something that stimulates particular meanings, perceptions, felt meanings. They're more than just um, theoretical meanings. They're felt meanings. They they move the heart. And the meaning of that. That's what a recollection is, something that does that. You take it in and you dwell upon it. That's why we, we do chanting. For example, the recollection of the triple gem, we chant that. You can chant it, um, do it slowly, even just taking taking refuges. You do it so it holds your mind onto the topic much longer than just, just oh, take refuge in Buddha, you know. It's actually going to stay with it and uh, bring your focus onto that and see what comes up with that. Whether you feel, well, so what? Or what does that mean? Or you keep holding your focus on that to actually get through the, the layers of the mind that either can't be bothered to think about it or what does it matter or trying to feel something. And it actually starts to, hey, 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 no, no. Get get through that. <laughs> what does it mean? You know, parting, death, separation. No, come on. Even you no, know, not just the. Actually, what does it mean to you? you know, actually, touch, touching, letting it touch the heart. And so, with other recollections, the recollection of Buddha, it's very much the same. It's not <clears throat> a statue or a, a hist- You know, something that occurred in history, but. It's the full, what would it be like, you know, to, to actually be free or, or awakened? Um, well, when you and have a, someone who can teach that, you know, ending of suffering. And then taking refuge, what would it be like just to feel 
you're welcome. You know, so in, in the uh, early Buddhist texts, so it says so often many of the people would just hear a talk and they'd say, I take refuge. And they didn't do anything, didn't see anything more than that. But for as long as life lasts, they, they, in other words, they'd be able to bring that to mind and just bring that up, the feeling of you've got a place in the cosmos, you've taken shelter, you've got a place to rest, you've made a kinship or an affiliation with an enlightened being. And, um, you know, beyond the words, this sense of belonging and uh, with something that's, that's totally good and right and trustworthy. <clears throat> That's what recollect. So recollection is to try to bring you into the full, full meaning of some of these themes, till it touches the, the retouches the heart. <coughs> so these two go together. Recollection of death, recollection of Buddha, and the refuge quality. I think refuge and Buddha are very important. Sometimes we we can't even get them going very very well as a, as a really fully flowering meaning. It can be something like I've signed up the contract. You know, now a Buddhist filled in the form. Uh, or something of that nature, or something one does just because everybody else is doing it. But uh, my my sense is that, um, you know, particularly in the Western world, people are often so um, disconnected from a context. It's all individuals. We don't really belong to much at all. Um, you know, it's not... We're all just kind of alone. You maybe have a family, that's about it. And a football club, maybe. But that's, <laughs> that's about it. So where are we, you know, in the, in the cosmos, in the, in the great uh, realms of birth and death? Is that, that's it. So you know, if you get very lonely and... Uh, Trying to find something to fit into, or something to connect to, something to, you know. I think it's very important to develop that sense of taking refuge in, in Buddha Dharma Sangha. Um, till the, the aim of recollection, all recollection, is to get right through the thinking and even the, the feeling down into the intent. So citta, the mind or heart, has a percep- perception or felt meaning. It's able to get these kind of uh, um, felt meanings such as you know, trust or um, f- friendship or awakening, you know, something that stirs us, felt meaning, sanya. And it's also, there's a particular uh, quality of pleasant or unpleasant feeling that comes from that. And there's also, jitta is the place of intent. 
That is where we get our sense of direction, motivation, uh, purpose, aim. This is that. This is uh, this is what jitta is. It's just this. It's just this. This these three experiences where they meet. Jitta isn't a thing. It's it's just the meeting of these three uh, uh, experiences. <clears throat> so, within so jitta is often so confused because it doesn't really know where to go. You get you get fed various um, intents to you know be happy or be successful or get a good job or get ahead or whatever you know that really don't don't go very far in terms of real freedom or belonging or fulfilment. They promise something, but they don't, you know, we get something out of them, otherwise we wouldn't do them at all. But they don't go very fully. They're, they're kind of only halfway, or, and sometimes the kind of frustrations and, uh, that go along with that make, make them, you know, very unrewarding. You can't quite get it. So recollection is to really touch into intent, intent of the mind, and place it, you know, where it, where it does find the fullest kinds of meaning. Now, when we recollect death, we also recollect in that very act of recollecting that some, death is something we can we can be with. You know, the, the, what does it mean? It means the sense of loss, the sense of uh, whatever that brings up. We can be with that. And in recognizing that or experiencing that, you get a sense of some serenity. You know, you can accept it, not in a passive way, but in a, a, a full way. And there's something very um, peaceful about it. The struggling and the trying to hold it together and the worrying and the it just eventually just blows out it just kind of finishes and you're just left with that that sense of holding holding the space of of mortality and there's a kind of quality of compassion um, serenity that occurs in that and it calms The intent is no longer running hither and thither. It's just calmed and steadied. Yeah. And that's, so that's the aims of these deliberate recollections. One of them, primary aim of all of them, is to steady you. You know, they can have different ways of doing it. But the aim is to get to the intent, which can be running around in circles or going up and down or dithering or blanking out and just, you know, wake it up and then hold and hold it so it becomes it firms. <coughs> that firmness doesn't is not necessarily about <coughs> going anywhere or making anything happen. It's just the firmness of presence. You feel, and that's 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 the training. Firmness 
in, in presence. It's really not about going anywhere or becoming anything. Mm. We do have efforts and we do arrive at different states, but they're, they're really, all that is just the support and attune firmness of, of presence in which the, the citta lets go of its um, passions or its despair mm. or anything in between the two is just purely present. This is the freeing up the, the citta. The intent is just one of pure presence. path is, is, is to do with um, handling the sankhara and intent is a big part of sankhara so it can be rushing forward, rushing back, sinking down, confused, despair, agitated it can be bodily tension, um, sluggishness, restrictive energies so there's bodily aspects to it, emotive aspects to it Kaya Sankara, the bodily, Jitta Sankara, the, the emotive, the effective quali- qualities. Is one's body bright? Is it firm? Is it steady? Is it, re- is it relaxed? Is it grounded? Mm-hmm. Sometimes we start with working on the body because in a way it's kind of, it's relatively simple compared with the, the effective mind which you know, is so easily and effective and produces so much stuff, a body just basically is pain and pleasure, it's quite a simple, and you just start to sit with it and work with it until it starts to come out of its um, dullness or its tightness, you know? until it becomes something you just feel the bodily energy begins to be more balanced, steady. And then you work into the mind, so that's often the way. That's the process of anapanasati. Body first, uh, recognizing the kaya sankara, fully aware of it, and then calming it, steadying it. And then uh, from that, the sense of brightness and vigor comes up with that steadying, calming, the, the citta sankara, the heart energy, the drives, the patterns, the behaviors of the heart. So there's certainly, we might say that's kind of our, that's a kind of process. And then you come from that into the, what's called the in Anapanasati, the third tetrad, where you begin to reveal the mind or reveal the heart. Awareness of that which knows or that which holds or that which witnesses, however you want to put it, the intending quality, the the knowing quality itself. 
It's like you come through all the the uh, patterns and the behaviours and the reactions down to something that's more the uh, uh, the naked mind, the naked heart. So it's just to recognize that the, the heart, the chitta, and the objects of the chitta are two different things. So essentially your mind is never confused, um, <laughs> never angry, never upset. It contains confusion and anger and upset. <laughs> you know, but, but so often we, we go out of that containing or recognizing we're containing, recognizing we're aware of it, and we go into it. It pulls us in, and then we're in there, thrashing and ducking and weaving and fighting and struggling and straining and why me and why am I like this and where, how will I ever be? And the big pictures start to come up, don't they? And you get in there, and the big pic- you, a few sankharas come along, clobber you, dope you, <laughs> and you start to get these hallucinations. I am like this. I never will be this way. I always was that way. Um, Buddhism's this, meditation's this, and you get these kind of big pictures, ghoulish sometimes pictures, can be blissful pictures. When you get involved with the Sankara, they 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 like that. <laughs> they feed on you and they like that and they paint big pictures. You see how it can, on a retreat you see how that can happen. You know, I just got so I could see just I think you know, sometimes I get a little fax or a letter. You know, and I may pick up a few phrases that I don't really like. I think that's a bit offensive. And then I my mind can just pick that whole up thing up. So there I am. Right, that's it. I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm not going to stand for this. I've already got my little cottage up in Scotland. I'm just designing the wallpaper, where the stove's going to be. <laughs> this came out of a, you know, one little fax or something. You've already, you know, one has already gone somewhere else, and the big picture comes up. You think, wow, where's that? And the next day you get. Uh, a peanut peanut butter on your bread in the morning, you think, oh, well, Chitters is just wonderful. (laughs) 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 Only place to be in the world. (laughs) How does that happen? It can go like that, can't it? From the heavens to hell, just around a, you know, a a passing remark or a, a peanut butter on your bread in the morning. We have a good, what you call a good meditation, and this is it, the path is just any day now, the f- doors of death are going to fly open. The next, next hour, it's a bad one, here's the doors of hell about to fly open. <laughs> you know, maybe I should just be a dustman instead. <clears throat> so e- even in recognizing that you go through this, these waves of lunacy of the mind, 
just being able to kind of hold it. Mm-hmm. Um, so even when it is like that, we just sit. Just bring your intent back to just sitting here, being here, being present with that, letting it blow through. Because it really is primarily, you know, the sense of viveka, just non-attachment, which ripens into dispassion, since you're no longer even that um, stressed or bothered by it. And that, if you like, takes the energy out of that sankhara. Yeah. Your intent doesn't get caught up in these images. Your intent is just to be present. And you find actually qualities such as serenity, compassion, compassion, kindness towards yourself, calming. Yes. Hey, just take it steady now, moment at a time, instead of these desperate lunges, uh, trying to force it one way or another. <clears throat> and it's rather like that. Putting the uh, mind in the driver's seat of our lives. But it doesn't necessarily mean the road is going to be smooth. (laughs) When you put yourself in the driver's seat, it doesn't necessarily mean the bus is going to be a a brand new streamlined Mercedes that you're sitting in. It could be a chugging old tractor. So you think, oh, well, I'm sitting in the driver's seat, just switch the thing on, here we go. Turn left, Nibbana. Yeah. I remember when I was uh, a boy, I think my cars hadn't reached the state of development they have now, so going out with my dad in a car, because all our cars were always second-hand anyway, second-hand or beat-up cars, was always a, or vans or trucks or something like that. He'd have a, get an old van for a couple of years till it fell apart. And so it, going out for a drive was not a guaranteed thing. It meant you got in the seat and then your dad started the end, it didn't work. He got out, he got the starting handle out, he cranked the thing, he sweated, he cursed, he kicked the tyres. He cranked and cranked and cranked. Eventually, the engine kind of spat itself into life. If you were lucky, I had to sit in the driver's seat and get the foot on the throttle quick as soon as the engine started. Dad came in streaming with sweat, knuckles skinned. <laughs> okay, we got it going, you know. And then we kind of chunk, chunk, chunk down the road and stalled at the lights and things. That was real driving. <laughs> They don't make them like that anymore. <laughs> Cars don't even have starting handles now. <laughs> and it was always, you know, sooner or later you knew it was, there's going to be a time when the thing just kind of, from some mysterious reason, steam starts coming out the engine, you pull over. Okay, up with the bonnet, a good half an hour with the spanners and the tools getting the thing going. This is more like meditation. Um. <clears throat> when I was in Indonesia many years ago, these old buses I used to travel on, like you know, 17 hours bus ride, 
of which at least six hours would be breakdowns. And there's always the, the van boy sitting, who'd sit inside the spare tire in the back of the bus. And the next, you know, so when the thing broke down, he'd get out of his, he'd get out of the tire, and he'd get out, and he'd drive me crawling under the bus and hammering it and whacking it and doing things to it and, to get it going again. And that was that was taking a ride. So you know, that's what it's like, isn't it? So when you sit in the driver's seat, you check and look around and you check how things are going. But, um, yeah, what state the vehicle is in, physically, emotionally, what you can expect, how to coax it into life. I think one, one of the important recollections that... Uh, um, one is urged to undertake is just to recollect one's own virtues. One's own good karma. It's uh, for many people this is a difficult thing because they, you know, kind of slightly embarrassed or don't think they have any virtues. Or it just sounds silly, just thinking. But it's not. It's not. It's the thinking is only, or just bringing something to mind is only the beginning of it. It's to take it down into really acknowledging the quality of the intent in one's life. So, with the precepts, for example, what are you just keeping precepts? And it's not to just think of these as mechanical things, also to recognize actually there's no intent to harm anything. And when we think of doing violence to something, the mind kind of sh- sh- you know, shies away from that, it recoils. Or you hear of somebody being hurt or killed, or your mind feels, oh no. How could they do that? You hear these terrible murders that go on and something you just is shocked because you how could somebody do that? So you know, the intent there, yeah? Or the intent towards honesty. Intent towards uh, non abusive verbal verbal abuse. Intent to refrain from sexual abuse, sexual manipulation or in a celibate form, even from sexual activity. These are very profound intents. So you need to kind of recollect those. A honesty, you get a sense of uprightness. Um, harmlessness, you get a sense of the gentleness. Celibacy, you get a sense of the of the kind of um, restraint, not in a, not in a kind of curb held back way, but how how um, there's a quality of of a kind of purity or um, tranquility or serenity that occurs once put aside a particular form of energy, 
one's moved out of that sphere of that particular energy. One's intent, and you can establish intent like with metta, intent towards kindness or sheltering or nourishing other beings. These are all things that to, to, to slowly bring to mind and look in t- deeply into the heart to see where they are. There can be all kinds of uh, unskillful intents as well, but it's rather like, you know, you notice the core, the dominant ones, or the ones that you really want to notice and make much of, the ones that lead you out, lead you to the good place. You fashion, and you fashion just by by giving attention. You don't fashion by, uh, you know, fantasizing. You fashion by looking and discerning, and selecting, and then attuning to what takes you out. Yeah. It's there, but often you need to, to turn the light on it for it to really grow and flourish. You give attention to it it starts to and keep pouring attention into it then uh, that's felt it affects the quality of intent intent starts to with these skillful recollections the intent steadies you know, because um, renunciation, harmlessness <coughs> is really not about it's not exciting it's not about doing a lot. And then let's go out and do some renunciation tonight. Yeah, 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 right. Where are we going to do it? Yeah. Your place or mine? <laughs> let's meet up and be equanimous together. <laughs> it's, not, it's not kind of... It's kind of cooling and steadying. So you bring your attention to the nature, the quality of intent, then just steadies and... Just about being simple, present, gentle, peaceful. What does that, you know, do? It kind of the other's other energies. If you're not letting them get a look in, they back off, and then you, that intent gathers and fills your atten- in attention, and your intent starts to stabilise from the worry, the doubt the despair, the fraughtness, can I meditate, can I do it right, when will I ever get it, am I going to be this, how do I do my samadhi, should I do it, you know, that kind of agitation, you know, don't, don't start with that, that isn't, the, that isn't the entry place, you start from that agitation to get it right, it's, you haven't actually, you know, checked out the bus you're in yet, it's like being a driver of just jumps in the seat and just bangs his foot on the throttle and gets going. You know, you need to check out your equipment and where you are and feel it out. So that's the, the Buddha called it, a natural process or in accordance with Dhamma. If one follows through from right precepts, right view, skillful behavior, Taking that in and then dwelling in it, your body, your body energy starts to breathe. You know, relax. It's only really when 
if you want to do mindfulness of breathing, my recommendation would be you don't, don't, don't do that until you already feel yourself breathing. Don't try to f- feel breathing. You know, just get it so you feel steady enough. And when you begin to feel the breathing by itself, then you know you're ready to, to turn into that. Because it should come out of a relaxed state. Because, you know, when your body is relaxed, then, then the breathing becomes more dominant. If, if it's not there, then I personally wouldn't recommend, you know, doing it. I'd recommend doing recollections or feeling into your body until, until the breathing begins to speak for itself. Then, oh yeah, why don't I just do that? Because this isn't just a kind of a technique as a magic wand or a formula that you've got to do, otherwise, you know, this is it and that's the only thing. The aim is to work on these bases, body, sankhara, uh, jit, um, the sankhara of the chitta, the emotive energies of stuff, and it's to steady them, understand them, come out of the tangle and the sluggishness of that, and feel into the into the into the chitta, into the heart, the the bare heart, or the heart that knows or is aware. That's the thing. That's what gets liberated. It gets liberated from confusion, panic, wrong views. The first level, and the second level, it gets it gets uh, liberated from the sense of identity, which is a subtler process. The beauty is that uh, while uh, one's uh, intent or one's mind is captured by the sankharas, it, it's something you have to keep really uh, deliberating over and uh, getting a handle on and checking or pulling out or stepping back or, you know, giving it time, you've got to really put a lot more um, energy into it. But as it becomes, as it frees, then you can begin to to attend to that. The process is recognizing, um, thoroughly experiencing citta, and then gladdening it and steadying it. So feeling satisfied, feeling um, comfortable in one's heart and then just steadying that. And the process then becomes much less directive. Another analogy that comes to mind is we're talking about cars and buses. Uh, but the uh, we come down to, to the, to the you know, chitta that's more naked or divested of these um, confusions. It's more like a, a living thing, like riding a horse. It's got its own power. Contemplate the power, the strength of chitta, the determination of it, the... Uh, 
compassion of it, the boundlessness of it, mm. magnificent um, presence, Magnif- so it's something to just to contemplate the magnificence of of jitta. It's as it uh, comes out of its um, vestments and its accumulations. Story comes to mind uh, reading of a, a man when he was a quite young lad having a horse and being being on a ranch out in the desert in America and having getting on this horse which is a well-trained uh, horse a horse that wasn't just one of these kind of stupid domesticated creatures who've lost their brains and wits it was a kind of well-trained desert horse and he wanted to go for a ride so he got on this horse and he rode and he got really kind of uh, really enjoying himself so he rode and rode and rode on this horse, the horse was galloping away and he rode for several hours off into the desert and he, he realised he didn't know where he was he completely lost sight of the the ranch and if you, you know what the big desert's like, I mean everywhere looks exactly the same, it's just nothingness whichever way you look so no sense of direction he didn't know which way to turn how do, I, how do I get back home? He didn't know which way to turn, so he just he recognised that, and then he kind of felt himself sitting, fully sitting on his horse. Just felt himself sitting on the horse, and just relaxed into that, and just relaxed into sitting on the horse. And the horse was standing around wondering you know, what's going on and the horse wasn't getting any signals from the, the lad who was, who, was, who was helping the reins so the horse started kind of moving around and, and it started walking, it started trotting it turned this way and it turned that way it trotted and it cantered and he just, he just sat on it and it, it, it knew the way home itself <laughs> And eventually he was just sitting on this horse which was galloping. And just feeling a complete sense of freedom, the horse galloping. And it galloped and it went all the way back to the ranch without him, him steering it at all. And I think this is a really uh, joyful analogy of, uh, you know, the way that we practice, often we are driving it and steering it and and then perhaps we come to a place where we really don't know and then you have to trust, trust the mind is it fit, is it alive and then where, where do you think you go, probably sniff around a bit, wander this way and that way and then start and it, eventually it takes you to the good place Now, if it's something you've kind of hacked around or kicked or <laughs> not treated very well, it's probably not going to do that very easily. If it's something that's been, um, you know, got into a lot of bad habits, it doesn't do that easily. So you have to take it out of those habits. 
habits towards despair, um, habits towards greed. Um, you know, just just by taking it out of it, just by reminding the mind, you know, you're not that. There's nothing. You know, you're not actually. You aren't at that. That's what happens. That's that's the nature of this territory. But that's not what. That's not yours. It's not where you are. It's not your real home. And where are you? So you try to look around in the Sankara realm for something to be. Is it this mood? Is it this feeling? Is it that? No. <laughs> so you think, you mean there isn't one? You mean it's just all meaningless? No. I mean that which knows. You know, that's, that's that which you're already riding on. That's the thing you... Oh yeah, of course. How did I forget? You come, You come out of the pictures and into the the witnessing or the holding and your intent is staying there you can f- and steadying that breathing in and out through that breathing in and out with that steadying it steadying it and uh, as it steadies it, then these energies that pull and push no, 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 that's not it. Yeah. Just um, focus in. A push of feeling. Push of perceptions and meanings, interpretations. Mm. But it isn't that that one doesn't feel anything. There is the propensity, the ability to feel, if you like, the sensitivity and with you know process of detachment recollection you come back to the acuteness of sensitivity and let go of what what it's sensitive to mm-hmm. so it's always kind of like a, a freshness or brightness in the present mm. 